from the well-pruned studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another runaway episode of Chemical-Free Horticultural Hijinks You Bet Your Garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Are your climbing roses climbing to the stars? Are your raspberry canes taller than the new bowl? On today's show, we'll reveal why this is not the time to cut back overgrowing plants and discuss the most fruitful ways to tame those rampant runners. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show. Cats and kittens, yes, potential guests are busy putting down their pruners. So we will take that heap and help it. Of your telecommunicate questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and categorically consummated confuscations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you doubling down on your fruits and flowers right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners, school bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Hello and welcome to another fabulous edition of You Bet Your Garden from Rodale Institute Radio at the studios of WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we're going to talk about fall pruning, specifically for roses and raspberries. Mostly, we're going to take a lot of your fabulous phone calls. But first, there's a little bit of business we have to take care of. Remember when we were doing our book reviews a while back, I was recommending gardening books and history books about pesticides and lawn care that I thought you guys would really like. And I said if you sent me a postcard, I would send out a free book to each person who responded to one of those episodes. Well, we got the first one out pretty quick, but then life got in my way, and I'm just getting around to uh, sending this book, Mel Bartholomew's Square Foot Gardening Answer Book, to a beekeeper in Virginia Beach named Maggie, who first of all addressed her postcard, You Betcha Garden, and made the postcard, the postcard itself, very cute postcard of Chip and Dale. What you can't see, because it's all in blue, is they appear to be in Paris because they're rushing towards the Eiffel Tower. At least I think it's the Eiffel Tower. The artist never saw the Eiffel Tower, but, um, and I don't know why you would take a bag of acorns to Paris where the acorns are probably superior. But anyway, that book is going out to our beekeeper in Virginia Beach. Thank you for your patience. We, um, as I clean out my library, will be giving away more books. And as we approach um, November especially, I'll be doing Christmas books. So uh, don't send any more postcards in now. We got quite a few. But when we tell you to, please do. All right. Piece of business number two. You have heard me talk about this product on the show many times. It is very good. This is the mosquito repellent that I rely upon. We've talked about it on the show many times. Uh, right before I came uh, here to the Lehigh Valley, we actually had the herbalist on, on my show with me. Well, this thing has proven itself through three Philadelphia Folk Festivals as the best mosquito repellent 
any of us have ever tried. And it's all natural ingredients like lemon eucalyptus and other lemon scented herbs. It comes from a gentleman who calls his little company Half Moon Valley Herbs. And I go to that website and I can't find anything anymore. I know I have a card somewhere, but I've lost it. And the only information on this beautiful Boo bottle is all natural insect repellent, um, Half Moon Valley Herbals. So if anybody knows where I can find uh, this guy and his fabulous products, please give us a call at 833-727-9588, our regular number, or send us an email at ybyg at wlvt.org, which is also our regular email. All right, on with the show. 833-727-9588. Bill, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Bill. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm very good, sir. And where is Bill very good? Uh, Woodbridge, Virginia. All right. So what can we do for you, Bill? Okay. I live in a townhouse community. Uh, I've lived there for 20 years. Right. Um, when I first started, I had a, a wonderful lawn, mm-hmm. uh, luxurious lawn. And I had some uh, neighbor next door who has what I'm to understand is called a river birch tree. Right. Beautiful. Now, it's oversized, has three giant, I would say it's like three separate trees growing out of one big stump. Mm-hmm. But it covers my lawn com- almost completely. They've cut it back a few times, but I can no longer grow grass. It, my, my lawn will be green and luxurious in the spring, but as soon as that river birch tree uh, gets its spring leaves, my lawn just turns to a dirt yard. Huh. And, and what kind of uh, grass is your lawn? Do you know? Uh, I've tried everything. I've tried Kentucky bluegrass. I had sod brought in. I've uh, tried some uh, Scott's uh, shade, shade in the... Uh, you know, low water seed, mm-hmm. and everything always looks good till that tree blooms. Right. And, and I'm wondering when, uh, when, when this lawn was seeded. What time of year was that? Uh, I seeded in the fall. Okay. And did you seed the shade mix in the fall? Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, okay. So trees, as you as you well know, are notorious enemies of grass because of the shade they cast, but also because their roots are stealing all the water and nutrients in the area. Now, a fescue mix, like the one you're kind of describing, would always do best in the fall, winter, and spring in an open area. But in an area that is, uh, has a tree shading it in the summer, there is no reason that the correct grass mix should not be able to thrive because Hmm. we're talking about a cool season grass. They do not like the heat of the DC, greater DC area in the summertime when they're just sitting out there alone. They will often turn brown and people will panic. So if you seed it in the fall and the seed comes up well and the grass gets to grow through fall, winter, and spring, it should be lush and happy when that tree starts to leaf out. And then, does it get any sun at all? It gets sun from about 1 o'clock in the afternoon till the sun goes down. Oh. As the sun comes around that big tree, I, I also have in the center of my lawn is a Japanese weeping maple. Okay. Now, I would love to have it shaped like an umbrella, but unfortunately, I had an um, arborist come last year, 
all the back of that tree lifts itself up and the branches turn back over itself, reaching for the sun. One thing I want to tell everybody out there is never be afraid to get rid of a plant that's not working, that didn't come up to your standards. If it's a nice mm -hmm. plant and would look the correct way in somebody else's yard, um, have them dig it up in the spring and take it away. Now, what do you do to compensate for the water loss in the summertime? Well, I was watering, you know, pretty much early mornings. Okay. But then, I, like, like, you, like you had mentioned earlier, people saying, well, you're wasting your time watering because that tree is stealing your water. Well, uh, you can eventually reach stasis. I mean, trees can't absorb an infinite amount of water. Once they get saturated, there's no place else for the water to go. Once they're oversaturated, they'll start to drop the water back out uh, from their leaves, from the ends of the branches. So what do you got now? Are you giving up? No, I, that's why I've kind of contacted you to try and find out. I've had folks come to me and say, put zoysia grass down. Well, is that, that's an interesting grass because zoysia grass is tough, it's aggressive, it spreads, it fills in its own bare spots, but it is a warm season grass that thrives in the summer. So it would be tan and brown in the fall, winter, and early spring when it's just ready to green up and be fabulous looking, then it would suffer the same as the zoysia from the shade and the lack of water. Mm. So when you water, how do you water? I, I usually just uh, put my sprinkler out, let it, you know, uh, the wave type, wave action back and forth. Okay, that's not the worst. How long do you let it run? Uh, like an hour. Like I said, it's a small townhouse yard. It's like 10 by 20. Right. And you said you tried sod. Yes, sir. Okay. So what do you want to do? Do you want to give up and plant Pachysandra? <laughs> no, I would really, uh, I have a whole list of uh, plants that the uh, uh, county actually gave me, but I'd like to have a lawn. Right. If you really want to have a lawn, I would spread some compost right now. Find a nursery or a garden center that really specializes in turf. And okay. instead of a sunshade mix, get a bag that is simply composed of fine fescues, F-I-N-E, all fescue. Okay. And these would be creeping red fescue, which is not red, don't worry about it, chewings <laughs> fescue. There are a couple of varieties of fescue that are the most shade tolerant grass-like plants on the planet. Uh, they, their uh, blades are very tiny, which would probably really look good in a small area like yours, um, but they are your best bet at having okay. grass survive. Um, all you would have to do is keep them watered next summer, and if it doesn't work, then you're probably going to have to give it up and put in a uh, shade-loving ground cover or AstroTurf, you know. <laughs> that, that has even been suggested, yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, yeah. Well, in California, during droughts, they sell green paint in the garden centers <laughs> to spray on your lawn. So. All righty. I'll give it a try. So and I'll look you for know, one a, last yeah. thing, actually, man. Yes, um, your situation with all that, uh, all that shade in the summertime, do you ever consider a moss lawn, a lawn composed completely of moss? Because they look just moss. like... Moss. You can buy rolls of moss, just like sod, lay them down in the spring. There's a company in the Poconos called Moss Acres. Okay. Go to their website and look at the different types of moss. You may, may even be able to buy it locally through one of the bigger garden centers in the D.C. area, like Homestead or Green Streets, one of the really big destination ones. Okay. Uh, especially if you let them know in advance. Uh, they could even just 
you know, secure it for you and help you put it down. It would need acidic soil, shade, and moisture, but it's green all year long, never needs feeding, never needs cutting. Wow. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's something to look at. Yeah, type in Moss Lawn, look at what the extension services have to say, and then go to Moss Acres. They must sell 10 or 12 different types of moss, and so you can really pinpoint the one that would be best for you, and they're very okay. environmentally sound. Okay, yeah, I'm a, oh, I typed in their website now. <laughs> okay. All right, Bill, good luck, sir. Thank you very much for your help. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will give a talk on fall gardening for the Bethlehem Garden Club on Thursday, October 17th at half past noon at the Advent Moravian Church on Jacksonville Road in Bethlehem, PA. That's right here. This is a regularly scheduled meeting of the club, but non-members may attend for a donation of five bucks. Just don't go looking for all the details at the event section of our website just yet because we'll be right back with pruning do's and don'ts and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural, organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we will discuss fall pruning with an emphasis on raspberries or roses. Don't touch those cutters until you hear what we have to say. In the meantime, however, a heap and helping of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Andy. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, thanks, Mike. Well, thank you, Andy. How are you? I'm all right. And where is Andy all right? Uh, beautiful Langhorne, Pennsylvania. Okay, very good. Not that far from Philly, somewhere to the nope. north. Yeah. What can we do you for? Well, we bought the house three years ago. Uh, that fall, um, as per your instructions, well, some yours and some the county extension office, all right. I followed their textbook, uh, Round up the backyard, which was all weed. Yeah, well, you know that uh, wasn't my advice. <laughs> that's, that's the part where it deviated, yeah. Um, tilled everything up, uh, leveled it, compacted it, started fertilizer, lime according to test results. Good quality, sunshade mixed seed. Came up that fall. It was the envy of the neighborhood. Beautiful backyard. That spring, I got lesser celandine like crazy, mm. which I don't know how much it had, but when I did till the yard, I saw all these little bulblets, oh. didn't know what they were, and I think I divided them all and multiplied it. All right. Well, let's just um, let's go back to the beginning here. Uh, okay. the, the correct way to install a lawn, I don't know why extension services still recommend tilling. What you did was you uncovered a massive number of weed seeds that were hidden dormant in the soil. 
and you expose them to sunlight, which is the trigger for germination. And right. what, and then what did you do? You essentially planted them, right? You leveled yeah, the soil. Them and them and you fed them, watered them. That's the best crop you're ever going to grow, man. Yep. Now, what bothers me is you said you used Roundup, and then you noticed that you had lesser celandine. Um, lesser celandine is a plant that loves moisture. So do you, do you live near a stream? Um, you have a very high water table. What's going on there? There's no stream that close by, but um, it does get pretty swampy, and it's, it's a really clay soil. Mm -hmm. um, and so the springtime, it's just pretty damp and wet. Right. Um, constant moisture is the enemy of lawn grasses, um, but obviously lesser celandine loves it. Um, loves it. Please don't use Roundup again. Because, no. because of your high water table and your swampiness, um, the regular versions of Roundup are very toxic to fish, frogs, toads, and other amphibians. So yeah. that's, that's a real good thing not to use. If, if we had known somehow better in the beginning, it might have been wise to core aerate your lawn. In other words, to rent a machine or have somebody come out and use a big machine that pulls little plugs out of the soil, and this reduces the soil compaction. It's very good um, for helping reform clay soils. Um, I've heard from people who aerate every year or every other year, and it really seems to be the answer to clay soil. Also, okay. it, so it sounds like you didn't improve the soil. No, it's about 6,000 square feet, mm -hmm. so it would be a lot of truckloads of compost to bring in. Well, you'd be, um, you'd be surprised. So let's, let's uh, see, the lesser celandine, these bulbing weeds, um, like Star of Bethlehem, they're incredibly hard to get rid of. And you have to admit that when you saw the lesser celandine, it was a beautiful plant in the spring, right? Yeah, it's not bad. It doesn't grow regular. So, it's, you know, it's all lumpy. Um, it takes over the garden bed to where it chokes down even the hostas. Whoa. It's so yeah. thick. That's a battle of titans. Yeah. Now, uh, are, is your garden flat? Uh, the garden is. It's uh, ornamentals right now, but I am going to get a couple more pawpaw trees and some service berries and get a little bit of a homestead going on the garden side. Okay. Um, if, you're, if you're going to go into vegetable gardening or you want to keep the lesser celandine out of planting areas, you're going to have to build raised beds or install deep edging. Right. So I think, um, you know, we're not out of the time. So what's the lawn look like this year, this fall? Oh, uh, it's patches of the original seed I put down, mm -hmm. which was the, the fine fescues are weak and dainty yep. and where it gets full sun it's just a mixture of weeds okay that's interesting um the multicolored backyard yes but um if you i was interested in maybe micro clover yeah um i saw it on this old house they had it went to sod farm where they bought micro clover infused sod patches mm -hmm. um it seems to be pretty low on maintenance um pretty much you don't have to fertilize it much because it fixes the nitrogen itself. Mm -hmm. um, do you know much about seeding with microclover? Yeah, but it's not going to get rid of the lesser celandine. 
Okay. The lesser celandine is considered pretty much bulletproof. Now, yeah. if, if you go into the archive of our articles, when you go to our website, youbetyourgarden.org, there's a box to click on that says something like 500 answers to your most frequently asked questions. Uh, type lesser celandine into the search box, and it will tell you that this is, uh, this is a sign that you have way too much water. Water is the enemy of lawn grasses. Um, and lesser celandine loves it, and it's very difficult to remove. The best you can do is really try and halt its spread. Uh, because yeah. you say the front is swampy in the spring. Obviously, we've, you've only had really one spring there, right? Uh, no, we've had um, uh, two or three. And is, um, it, is it always staying wet out there? Um, pretty much, yeah. If you, um, the way that the property slopes back, um, that's, I guess most of the water collects that way. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so there's a couple of things you can do. Um, I mentioned core aeration. For your lawn, that should only be done in the fall. You got a okay. little, yes, you got a little bit of time left. So I actually just did that last week. I did the front. The front's beautiful. The front's mm -hmm. like my nice part. Good. So I aerated the front, and I said, well, while I have it, I'll aerate the back. Good. It can't hurt any. So I did that last week. So if, go on. If you can remove enough plugs over a series of years that water, and you got to divert the water coming down, or else it's just not going to work. Um, okay. But if you can divert the water and loosen up that clay soil a little bit, the lesser celandine will fade away naturally. It needs to be saturated all the time to be healthy. So the way to do this is not by direct action, um, but by changing the composition of the soil to where the lawn drains much better. Um, okay. And then you can plant whatever you want. And if you want to pr plant micro clover, that's fabulous. As you say, the lawn feeds itself. You just have to be careful that nobody walks barefoot um, on that lawn in the summertime because bees are very attracted to clover. It's one of the, it's one of the primary flowers they use to make honey. Okay. All and right, man. There's always a wouldn't stand a chance in the swampiness? No. No, there's only one, one grass. Uh, poa, oh, it's been so long since I... Um, researched it, but there is one grass that has been found to be successful in wet areas. It is tremendously expensive and very hard to maintain. It's not, it's not anything you're going to find in even the finest garden center. All right. You already lost me there anyway. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks, Mike. Good luck, sir. All right. The number to call, 833-727-9588. Steven, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike, big fan. Love your show. Um, listened to it for a long time. A lot of advice. I think I uh, screwed up my blueberries. I've heard your blueberry advice. Some of it I followed. One of it I heard afterwards, and I think I, I made a mistake. Okay, good. Where are you, Steve? Um, I'm in West Long Branch, New Jersey, about a little, like, little more than a mile and a half from the Jersey Shore in Monmouth County. What's, uh, what's up with your blueberries? How did you kill them? Okay, well, I, um, I planted 12 blueberry plants in my backyard. Um, I bought them from a, a good provider down in South Jersey, like a blueberry farm. Good, good. Um, they all got berries the first year were fantastic um i planted them in raised beds and since i've heard you i think they don't plant blueberries in raised beds but i did i planted them in a combination of peat moss um and some topsoil the first year like i said really good second year not so much this year probably a little worse i probably had four good plants this year three so-so and the rest of them were no-shows um i don't know if i underwatered them and i wasn't sure exactly 
you know, over the course of the year, how to feed them. I fed them at the beginning of the year this year with some holly tone. Mm-hmm. And at the end of last year, I put some shredded leaves on top. I hear you talk about that all the time, try to keep the weeds down. Um, but not a whole lot of luck. Like I said, they look a lot worse than they did when I got hmm. them. Um, I'm Stay not... for a couple. Yeah, I'm not hearing anything you did terribly wrong. I thought you were going to tell me you dusted them with wood ash or something. Um, no, just hollytone. Yeah, well, hollytone is is a natural fertilizer that also acidifies the soil. That's a, that's a perfect choice. Um, now, are any of the plants dead? Not all of them have at least some leaves on them, but a couple of them are pretty close. There's a couple that have maybe you know ten leaves on them, um, and a few of them, three or four, look really good, mm-hmm. but most of them don't. And, um, you know, I just don't know when to do what. I should put the holly tone on in the, in the spring. That's when I did it. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, I'm trying to think. You, you, uh, raised beds are a bad idea for raspberries because raspberries like unimproved soil. Right. Um, it's, it, it's either way with blueberries. There's no harm in planting okay. blueberries in a raised bed. And the last couple of years, with all the soaking rains you've gotten, it's actually a good idea. It should help them drain. Now, are the leaves a nice bright green, or are they yellow? Um, the, the leaves on the good ones are green, and they get like a reddish tone to them this time of year, where they start kind of turning, you know, Yeah, they're beautiful. They're, they have beautiful yeah. fall color. Yes, and there's some of them, like I said, just don't, you know, there's barely any leaves on them. There's a handful of leaves, and, you know, other than that, nothing. I'm not sure... You know, how often I should water, maybe. I don't know if that's a problem. Well, I mean, you shouldn't have had to water at all the last two years. Okay, yeah, I didn't water this year barely at all. I mean, a couple times, but not much. Mm-hmm. And do you have a vegetable garden as well? Uh, mostly fruits. I, I grow grapes, and I have. Um, I do have raspberries. Mm-hmm. I have some blackberries. Um, I grew potatoes this year. Oh, that's so much fun. They're nothing... Oh, it was a blast. We just harvested them. It was great. Nothing tastes better than a fresh potato out of the ground. It's so sweet and juicy, people don't believe it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. My son and I harvested them. We got like 110, 120 potatoes. It was great. That's one of my favorite things to grow. Good idea. All right, so um, are any of the plants, as the coroner of Oz would say, really most sincerely dead? <laughs> I don't know if there's any totally most sincerely dead, but they're at least a couple, like I said, with maybe 10 leaves on them. They're pretty close. Should I okay. just trim them all, cut them all down? Or? No, no. What I want you to do is pick the shabbiest looking one Okay. and carefully examine the roots. If the roots are rotten and mushy, then the drainage is poor. And that would explain, okay. that would explain exactly what's happening. I mean, it's, you know, typically raised beds will give you better drainage, um, but not if right underneath them is heavy clay. Uh, the fact that the leaves are green and not yellow leads me to believe that your soil is acidic enough, but it wouldn't hurt to test it. Um, blueberries want the most acidic soil of literally almost any plant we grow. Um, neutral on the pH scale is 7. Most of our plants grow really well in a range of 6.5, very slightly acidic, to 7, which is dead neutral. Um, blueberries absolutely want a pH of 5. It should hurt when you put your finger in the soil if you got a cut on your finger. It should be that acidic. So if your pH level is up around 6, what you should do this fall is spread a ton of peat moss on the surface of the soil. 
an inch or two of a peat moss mulch, but then cover it with an inch or two of compost um, okay. to hold it in place and to provide natural nutrition. If you want to, you know, you shouldn't feed as we're going dormant, um, but if you want to do the holly tone as well, just make sure that when you apply that in the spring that it gets covered by some amount of soil or compost. Uh, granular fertilizers really need to be in contact with soil uh, to release their nutrients more quickly. Um, okay. the, the mulch of peat moss covered by compost is your best bet. Again, if you pull up uh, a mostly dead plant and the roots are rotten, then we know exactly what's happened that it's just too much moisture, it's not draining well for some reason or another, and which almost doesn't make sense in a raised bed with a lot of peat moss added. Uh, but do it anyway, at least that'll be one ugly plant out of there. Um, do, okay. do the mulch of peat moss and compost, and then in the spring, as the plants start to green up, do selectively prune away the dead parts. Every week, go out and just snip off another four inches on what looks like a dead branch. Okay. Um, don't do it all at once. Do it slowly. Um, if all we needed was some more nutrition, you know, more compost and peat moss, then that pruning weekly will stimulate new growth. If none of that works, I would urge you to, you know, take a, a plant back to the uh, blueberry people, not necessarily complaining or anything, but asking them, if, if they know what happened. You didn't see insects on it or anything, right? You didn't see leaves with holes in them? No, there was one or two this year for the first time that had like this almost like spiderwebby stuff. I immediately clicked it off, you know, cut it off and, mm -hmm. and got rid of it. Okay. But that wasn't, you know, didn't seem to be a problem at all, just a couple. Well, that could be a spiderweb or it could be spider mites and they can cause the kind of problem that you're, uh, you're describing. So, and the cure for them is just get a high pressure hose and blast them off. Um, but right after we're done this, uh, go to your uh, computer, type in spider mites and see if that's the kind of webbing you saw. Okay. All right, man? Great, thank you very much, Mike, I appreciate it. My pleasure, Steve, you take care. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody that I'm going to give a talk on fall gardening for the Bethlehem Garden Club on Thursday, October 17th at half past noon at the Advent Moravian Church on Jacksonville Road in Bethlehem, PA. Now, this is a regularly scheduled meeting of their club, but we've arranged that non-members can attend and hear what I got to say for a donation of five bucks. Just don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back with pruning do's and don'ts and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT 
in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week. Can I prune my rose bush over winter? And how can I prune my raspberries back under control? And we're going to use those as an excuse to remind you about the perils of fall pruning. In the meantime, a couple more of your perilous phone calls. At 833-727-9588, is it Maribel out there? Maribel. Maribel, okay. Where are you, Maribel? I'm in Palo Alto, California. Well, of course, that's a Californian name. Um, are you a lifelong Californian? No, I actually migrated here from the Midwest. Oh. But I've been here long enough to call it home. All right, what can we, <laughs> what can we do you for? Well, I have a birch tree, and actually I have a cluster of birch trees in my backyard, and we have very long, dry summers, Yes. and sometimes the birch, they look a little withered, so I've been trying to water the trees. I mean, we have drip lines on the tree, but it doesn't do much good. They're, they're mature trees, and I thought I could use my, like I, I conserve water by, mm -hmm. you know, when the shower is heating up, I just collect the extra water before it runs down the drain, and I use that to water some of my plants. And um, I'm finding that um, when I water the birch tree, I, you know, make a little ring in the dirt around it, and I put, like, maybe a gallon of water at a time in, and it takes a very long time to absorb. Really? And I'm wondering if there's a better way water my trees oh yeah just to get them through this summer yeah a gallon of pop is nothing um you ideally you want to water long and slow so that you deliver an inch of water um to the tree and uh for instance if you're doing this with a sprinkler and like a pennsylvania vegetable garden it'll take or, or a lawn it'll take four hours to put an inch down so I think your drip irrigation is the better idea. Now, do you run the drip from your household tap water, or do you have a rain barrel, or do you perhaps uh, use gray water? I don't have a rain barrel, and I don't use gray water. It just, yeah, comes off of the main line from the street. Would you, and water's expensive there, right? And it scarce. Is, and drip is promoted, yeah. Right. So the first thing I would do is move the drip line much further away from the tree. The area you're watering, like within a foot or two of the tree, that's not where the roots are. The roots are out. If you look up at the canopy, um, your best roots to water would be for your circle with your, uh, with your drip lines to mimic, the, um, to mimic the canopy of the tree, to go out as far as the farthest branch. Now, in truth, you're going to have feeder roots well beyond that. So don't be afraid to even split the difference. But where you're watering, that's the oldest part of the tree. That's not doing much of the work. The water is really being absorbed out at the ends of the roots, the young roots, the young and restless roots who, who really want to be watered. Now, um, is it possible? Well, first of all, is it possible for you to get a rain barrel? That, that would seem to be a can of corn. Yeah, I could look into that. I have friends that do that. Yeah. So the idea with a rain barrel is when you install it, you want to put it up on cinder blocks or you want to build a little base for it so that gravity is your friend. So when you want to water your tree or, or whatever, you turn the spigot on and gravity takes the water down. 
Um, you do have a rainy season, right? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so I mean, if this is serious to you, I mean, get a couple of rain barrels. I know um, here in the Northeast where we got more water than we know what to do with, uh, extension services and communities give away rain barrels or sell them to you at cost. And, of course, you can make your own. Just make sure that there's screening on the top so that no mosquito larvae can breed in the water. Nice thing about uh, a rain barrel is the water can be stored without going bad. If you're going to use true gray water, um, that's taking all the water from your shower, you know, repiping it to the outside world, not just the, the warming up portion, but the stuff you're actually showering with. You know, make sure you're using a nice, gentle, phosphate-free soap and everything like that. But think of the enormous amount of water you can um, divert there. You can also do the same thing from your washing machine. To, again, making sure, I know some detergents in uh, like hippie stores uh, may even say, safe for uh, gray water systems. I don't know if it's legal in your community, but um, <laughs> you don't have to tell anybody either. Um, but think of all the clean water. Obviously, you don't want to re-divert your toilet, and I'm not sure about dishwashers, but just think of um, just plumbing uh, your uh, shower drain out to there, and what an amazing amount of water that would be. And, um, you know, and then the other thing is move those, move those drip lines. You may have to buy more uh, to make it, but they should, how tall are the trees? About 20 feet. Okay, so, you know, they should be at least probably 20 feet away from the trunk because oh. that's where the canopy goes out to, right? Yeah. Well, it's a kind of skinny tree. Maybe not quite 20. Split the difference. Make it 15. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the idea. Get the water down on those feeder roots. And um, even though you can theoretically do drip irrigation at any time of day, the roots of your plants are much more purposed to accept water first thing in the morning. Okay. And how much, um, five gallons is sufficient at a time, or what would you suggest? We don't do gallons. We do inches. In your climate, it would be difficult to overwater. So, again, I mean, you take a shower and you divert that water. Now, that's one thing I wanted to mention. You don't divert that water into your rain barrel. That water has to go right out to where it's going to water a plant. You can't store gray water. That becomes black water. You can store rain water. So, you know, just, I mean, rather than try to nail it down, take a shower. Boom, that water goes out to the tree. Maybe somebody takes another shower later in the day. Boom, that water goes out to the tree. Almost like natural rains in, um, in some times of the year in some parts of the country. So I wouldn't sweat it, but in, in your climate where the humidity is naturally low, I would think that it's going to be impossible to overwater and just you know divert that shower if it's been dry and you haven't been showering, people are avoiding you in elevators, then turn to your rain barrel. All right. Thank you, Mike. 
Well, as promised, it's the question of the week. When to prune raspberries and roses? Mary in Cherry Hill, which of course is in New Jersey, writes, I have a lovely but overgrown Constance Spry climbing rose that I'd really like to cut back. Right now it's wild and has broken its support. I want to know if I can cut it back this winter to around 18 inches off the ground and then train it on a much stronger support. What do you suggest? Well, thank you, Mary, for bringing up the name Constance Spry. That famed flower arranger had more accomplishments to her name than you can almost imagine. She was a nurse. She was head of the Irish Red Cross. She was a World War II victory garden expert and a domestic science instructor, to name just a few. Her shop, called Flower Decoration, was the go-to place in the UK for unusual and striking floral decorations. And her name was attached to the very first David Austin Rose introduction, thus launching his famous English Rose series. Now, the Constance Spry Rose is a fragrant, double-flowered pink rambler often described as lanky, which is a term that does invite pruning. Luckily, Mary seems to know that this time of year, fall, is the worst time to prune anything. As Constance Spry herself surely knew, pruning stimulates growth. Pruning in the fall stimulates growth just as the plant is trying to go dormant, sucking vital energy out of its root system. And, of course, winter weather is on the way, which means that that lush new growth is going to freeze solid when it gets cold enough, effectively ending the need for further pruning of that plant. And there's always the risk of a cold, wintry winter without good snow cover. Snow is good for plants. It insulates the crown, protecting the plant against wild temperature swings. Without the wonderful natural insulation some gardeners call God's mulch, the top of the plant is likely to suffer winter damage from wind and desiccation. Plants that are unpruned going into the winter have a lot of biomass to lose without harming the plant long term. But plants that have been neatly pruned down to six inches or so will join the choir invisibule, again, avoiding the need for further pruning. So put those pruners away and don't listen to so-called experts that urge you to clean up your garden in the fall. The only cleaning up you need to do is suck and shred your fall leaves for mulch and compost making. Back to Constance. The dead of wintertime dormant season is a perfectly acceptable time to prune things that are not spring bloomers. But it's not the ideal time. Let's say we cut back this wandering rose in January and one of those freaky winter warm spells comes a-calling and wakes up the rose, followed by freezing cold, again with no snow cover. The health of this rose is now threatened in a half dozen different ways. Better to wait until spring, specifically about two to three weeks after the rose and your other plants have greened up and all chance of a hard frost is in the rearview mirror. And, you know, 18 inches seems a little dramatic to me. This rose is a Great Dane, and trying to turn it into a Shih Tzu isn't going to make anybody happy. I would leave much more of it standing, say at least four feet. Why? 
Well, this rose only blooms once a year, and you're going to get the most roses if the plant hits the ground running with a good amount of biomass. Now, at least it's only supposed to bloom once a year. I would deadhead the spent flowers promptly and see if we can rewrite that part of the catalog page with a second bloom. Whichever way you choose, prune it back every other spring and it should be much less destructive. But remember, it will always be a rambling rose. Side note. Roses thrive with a mulch of compost, but wood mulches invite diseases and insects to attack. We move on to Lily in Milwaukee who writes, how and when do I prune my raspberries? They're going crazy. Well, raspberries are supposed to, quote, grow crazy. They're like labs, they can't sit still. Prune only the dead wooden canes in the late spring, early summer, the second year of their growth, not before. Canes that appear to be dead in the winter might just be dormant and may come to bear a lot more berries in the spring. For most raspberry varieties, it works like this. New canes sprout out of the ground in the spring and grow all season long. Six to eight feet of length is perfectly normal. At the very end of that first growing season, big juicy raspberries will appear at the tips of those canes. Do not prune these first year canes, although you can pull off the spent berry clusters after winter arrives. The following spring, new green canes will sprout from the ground, just like that first year. But the previous year's canes, which may have seemed to be dead, will green up and clusters of berries will appear all along the length of those canes. This quote, second year harvest is always all, <clears throat> this quote, second year harvest is almost always much larger than the previous year. Now, after harvest, second year canes will start to visibly die off with yellowing leaves and brittle canes evident by midsummer. Now you can prune out those canes at ground level as close as you can get. I just snap mine off. It gives the raspberry patch a much cleaner look and encourages the growth of new canes. Side note, never feed a raspberry patch with potent fertilizers. The canes will provide the best harvest in poor soil to which a little compost has been added. Well, that sure was some good information about controlling raucous ramblers now, wasn't it? Luckily, you can read these priceless instructions at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to prune my spring bloomers if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse, teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. If you don't include your location, all bets are off. You'll find all all of this contact information, answers to hundreds of your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and our podcast at youbetyourgarden.org. 
You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show, and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio in association with WLVT, PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath, and Mike McGrath was created by Harold and Nancy McGrath. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director used to be Amanda McGrath. She is now known as Amanda Norfleet. Either way, check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page and send her a wedding gift, you cheapskate. Our princess of production is Tavia Minnick. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Our audio editor is Jazzy Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Carlin is our camera woman. Zach the Tack Wisniewski is in the house. You can bet your dingle bird that our CEO, Tim Fallon, is late for a meeting. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. If I look like half a chipmunk, it's because I had a failing implant removed yesterday. And I think I'm doing darn good, don't you? And I'll do even better when I see you again next week. Ah, this is the ticket. Oh, it is, is it? Beautiful night. I got my best girl with me. Although, you know what could make it even better? Let me guess. Some mint chocolate chip. Bingo. You always get a little sappy when that sweet tooth kicks in. Partners since the beginning. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org. Leaves fall but once a year, but when they fall, they bring good cheer. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, we'll discuss the many ways you can harness nature's greatest gift to make mulch, compost, and more. Plus your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.